Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is Russ, and this is the Overlook Podcast. So today I'm coming to you guys with an extra episode. Um, If you haven't heard last week's episode on Caitlin Kelly, um, I suggest you go back and listen to that one. Um, While looking into that case, um, I actually end up coming across the case we're going to be talking about today, the disappearance of Alyssa McLemore. Um, And in my last episode, I kind of really went over some of the issues that indigenous women are facing when it comes to cases of missing indigenous women or missing indigenous men. Um, And I thought the case of Alyssa McLemore really demonstrated all those issues that we talked about in the last episode. Uh, So this week, um, you're going to get this bonus episode. I'll still have my episode on Sunday. Uh, This is just extra content because I also think this is a really important case, Uh, not only so we can help the family find Alyssa, but also so we can demonstrate and show the complexities uh, when it comes to missing and murdered indigenous women. Alyssa McLemore is a member of the Aleut tribe and she was 21 years old at the time she went missing. She was a mother to a young daughter and living in Kent, Washington at the time of her disappearance. On April 9, 2009, Alyssa's grandmother, Barbara McLemore, called her to say that her mother, Gracie McLemore, who was already sick in the hospital, was taking a turn for the worse. Alyssa told her grandmother that she was coming home to be with her mother, but she never showed up. Three days later, Alyssa's mothers died, and no one had still heard from Alyssa. Now, the family had actually contacted the police to file a missing person report on April 9th, the last day they heard from her. But they were told that they had to wait 24 hours before they could file an official report. The next day, on the evening of April 10th, at 9.15 p.m., there was a 10-second phone call made to 911. The dispatcher heard a woman frantically asking for help, but the line went dead before the dispatcher could make any response. The police were later able to confirm this call came from Alyssa's phone. Alyssa is considered missing under suspicious circumstances. Authorities do believe foul play was involved in her disappearance, and her investigation is still ongoing. Now, Alyssa has an aunt named Tina Russell who has kept the search for Alyssa alive for over 10 years now. She says Alyssa was a loving mother to her daughter and she was a loving caretaker to her mother who had been sick around the time of her disappearance. 
Alyssa is described as about 5'1 to 5'3 and around 130 pounds. Her hair is naturally black, though at times you may see pictures of her around the net with her hair blonde. Uh, I do believe her hair was black at the time of her disappearance from everything I have found. Now, some agencies have listed her as Asian or Pacific Islander, but um, family have actually stated she is Native American um, and African American. Um, she grew up with her mother's side of the family, um, who all are indigenous individuals. Alyssa has been described as being very close to her family and friends and having very close significant ties to her community. It has been over 10 years since she disappeared, and at this point, investigators have looked at possible um, Jane Doe matches for Alyssa, but so far, they have failed to make any positive IDs. Her aunt Tina believes somebody knows something, possibly more than one person. There's people out there that knows what happened to Alyssa. Now, in an interview, um, her aunt Tina states, it's time for you to come forward. It's time to tell the truth and get it off your conscience. I used to say, tell us before we die or one of us die. But you need to tell us before you die. And that's how I feel. In the early years of Alyssa's disappearance, authorities focused searches near Seattle and Tacoma. Um, it seemed like at first people were trying to suggest that she was a victim of human sex trafficking. Um, others tried to say that she was possibly left on her own. Um, but the thing is, Alyssa's mother, who she was close to, she was her mother's caretaker. She died three days after Alyssa disappeared. And then not only that, her grandmother, whom she lived with, was moved out of her home and moved to an elderly community. Um, the belief is if Alyssa left on her own accord, those major events would have prompted her to at least reach out, considering how close she was with her family. So far, investigators say they have about three binders full of information somewhat related to Alyssa's disappearance, but they have actually very little evidence that have real tips that could lead to any real conclusion on what happened to Alyssa and where she could possibly be. Now, over the years, there have been a resurgence in the disappearance of missing Indigenous women. Um, her Aunt Tina was able to get Alyssa's story featured on CNN on the 10th anniversary of her disappearance. Um, and the Kent police are saying her case is still open and active. Currently, lawmakers have said that Native women face murder rates 10 times the national average in some areas. According to the Department of Justice um, funded study by researchers at the University of Delaware and the University of North Carolina, um, Wellington. But they have noted that many of these cases may um, have gone unreported. And the ones that we do know um, often go unsolved. In 2018, State Patrol Captain Monica Alexander hosted eight meetings across the state with members of various indigenous communities. Captain Alexander also sent out a call to 332 law enforcement agencies in Washington, asking police departments to provide her with the number of open cases they have involving missing indigenous women. 
As of 2019, she has only heard back from 13 of these departments, with the Seattle Police Department reporting only three cases, two of them from 1979 and one from 1988. So the disconnect is, if you ask many indigenous people in that area today, if they know missing women in their communities, many will say yes, and it's far more than three, and they're far more recent. Captain Alexander is quoted as saying to CNN, I was shocked. This cannot be right. We need to know how many are missing and what we are doing about it. People are now paying attention to the fact that there are a lot of missing Native American women around the country. I think one of I think of one of the people in my life who could just disappear. I can't think of any. A lot of these people have several someones because they're so connected and they're so close. So sort of like I talked about in last episode, um, there, there's a lot of issue when it comes to missing indigenous women cases. Um, one, they're severely underreported. So the ones we know about, most researchers think it doesn't even touch the real number that is out there. Two, we don't really know the numbers. Um, even the numbers of those being reported, we do not have the statistics. Um, one is just a lack of keeping track of them um, from various departments and um, databases. As they have somehow just fallen through the cracks. Um, and then another issue, as we've seen with Alyssa, sometimes when these women go missing, they are reported under the wrong rigs. Alyssa was reported as being Asian. She is not an Asian individual. Now, number three is reservations are often in very remote areas. Um, and a lot of times on reservation, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of things that swept under the rug. And um, a lot of people that li- lives on these reservations, they're kind of used to it. And then number four is indigenous women seem to be very high when um, when it comes to victims of sex trafficking in comparison with their peers. One report say that they are 10 times more likely to become victims of trafficking than white women. As I stated in the last episode regarding Caitlin Kelly, there, the number of indigenous people who are missing is something that no one seems to say with certainty. The numbers officially used in data collections vary and they never seem to match up. For example, in an article written for the Wisconsin Examiner, it was reported in 2016, according to the National Crime Information System Center, 5,712 missing indigenous girls were reported. But the Federal Department of Justice database only listed 116. Now, Billy J. Stratton, who's an expert in Native American studies at the University of Denver, told CNN, the resources are spread so thin, it allows people to fall through the cracks. When you're talking about a group of people who is among the lowest social economic class in the U.S., they're more susceptible to violence than others. Poverty is the main driver. Dispossession, lack of empowerment, isolation, and those other social problems that flow from that. 
Alyssa's uh, Tina states, when you look at most of the people coming up missing on the news, they are white. Most of the time, there's so much immediate response and news coverage. And she is right. Not just in opinion, but statistically. How many women of color, specifically indigenous women of color, do you see getting the Natalie Holloway treatment? I can't think of one case that took the nation by storm, where the whole nation stopped and waited, wondering what happened to an indigenous woman of color who went missing. Now, Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska is quoted in the same CNN article saying, what are we missing here? What is happening with our Native women that they are being victimized to the extent and level that they are? Um, And the truth is, we really just don't know because, again, the stats just aren't there. The numbers just aren't there. We have our suspicions of trafficking. We have our suspicions uh, of them being victims of violence. Um, But we don't know the exact number. We don't know exactly how much higher it is. Um, Just because the stats are all over the place, no one has really been tracking um, in an adequate way um, until recent years. And when I say recent years, I'm talking about acts that were just passed in 2020 to start tracking in uh, a more accurate and consistent way. Now, a Native American activist, Roxanne White, who was a victim of sex trafficking herself, had told CNN up until recent years, she had never even heard of the term missing and murdered indigenous women, which is a movement that was started in recent years to hold the government accountable to and hold police and law enforcement accountable to trying to find these women to not sweeping their cases under the rug. Roxanne State Native women have been an issue, yes, all my life. Now, Roxanne has her own story of a family member who was an indigenous woman um, going missing. Rosenda Strong. Rosenda Strong went missing for the Yakima Reservation in 2018. Her sister Chrissy Strong Raya said tribal police were initially dismissive of her sister's disappearance because her sister used drugs. She's quoted saying, when I told the cops, they said, yeah, well, she's probably partying, getting, you know, and doing drugs, she recalled. Sissy states that she's highly critical of the system of law enforcement on reservations. She said tribal police are often understaffed and largely unaccountable. State police or local non-native police typically have no jurisdiction to investigate on reservation lands unless the investigation involves a non-native person. Sissy states, people are getting killed and it's being swept under the rug. To me, out here is like the wild, wild west. Now, in regards to her sister's case, Rosenda Strong, the FBI did eventually get involved in this case at the request of the Yakima Tribal Police. 
Unfortunately, nine months after her disappearance on July 4th, 2019, two homeless men found human remains in an up freezer. Um, this freezer was located on the 64,000 block of U.S. Highway 97 on the Yakima Reservation. Um, dental records later confirmed that the remains were those of Resenda Strong. Police are actively investigating Resenda's disappearance now as a homicide. Um, and it seems like women are disappearing from reservations at such a high rate um, because of how remote a lot of these locations are. Um, as I talked about in the last episode, there are many areas on reservation where there isn't a single physical police officer, where there really isn't a police presence. Again, kind of we, as we heard um Rosanna Strong's family talking about there's also an issue of jurisdictional conflict between tribal police, local police, state police getting the feds involved. Um, and then again, as we also heard, sometimes victims are simply discounted because of their race or the suspicion of drug or prostitution involvement. Now, in the recent years since um, Alyssa went missing, her aunt Tina Russell has made countless calls to medical examiners in corners uh, from Bellingham to Portland whenever she hears on the news that there's been a woman's body found somewhere. She and her family still organizes searches of ravines, parks, and they still hand out flyers seeking information about Alyssa. They hand them out at muster trunk rallies, state fairs, grocery stores, and several of her family members have provided DNA samples to police in the events that any remains are discovered. Her aunt Tina criticizes the Kent Police Department for failing to communicate with the McLemore family as the search for Alyssa continues to drag on. Now, the assistant Kent Police Chief Jared Kastner acknowledged that his apartment department may not have been the best when it comes to communication. He states, in Alyssa's case, there's limited evidence, limited information. It's kind of at a standstill, but we have not forgot about it. Kastner insists that the lack of communication is more about detective juggling multiple cases and also not wanting to divulge information that could possibly jeopardize their case. Now, though Alyssa's cell phone provider has long since pretty much purged her record, um, detectives still have a, rec um, a recording of that phone call and they have submitted call data from her phone to the FBI in hopes that technological advances um, could possibly yield some new leads, hoping that maybe um, the FBI can pick up on other voices or sounds in the background that could be helpful to their case. As of yet, nothing has came of it. Now, there's an article called "In Why Do We Have So Many Native American Women Go Missing? Congress aiming to find out by Scott McLean and Sarah Whisfield. Uh, this article is on CNN. Um, in this article, it is stated that family has not heard the 911 call. Uh, police said that they cannot um, let her hear while the, them hear it while the case is still open. Um, and 
this should be stated at the time that this particular article was written, that was in 2019, um, that family members said that that was only the third official news article dedicated to Alyssa's disappearance. Alyssa disappeared in 2009. Now, several hours before Alyssa called 911 in April of 2009, a witness did report seeing her near Kent Des Moines Road and Pacific Highway South, which is an area that's kind of known for prostitution. Um, many speculate because of this possible association with prostitution that police did not take this case seriously. Um, and that witness also reported seeing her get into a green pickup truck in that area. There was another witness that came forward that pretty much said the same thing. Um, I believe the added detail was that they believe that the truck did not have state um, Wisconsin state uh, plates on the car. Now, court records did show that Alyssa was arrested four times for prostitution and prostituted-related offenses between September 2008 and February 2009. And most police agencies acknowledge that women involved in prostitution tend to be especially vulnerable to robberies, sexual assaults, and homicides. Now, instead of treating these cases with urgencies because we know that these numbers are higher... Police and the media seem to treat these women with disregard and no interest instead, which in terms actually make these women more vulnerable and more likely to be targets because it's known that the police do not put the same amount of effort or care into finding justice for these women. They are the invisible population. They are the overlooked. Now, when I was looking into Alyssa's case, I noticed a few articles. Um, again, there's not much, but, um, and I noticed a few like blog posts um, that mentioned completely unnecessary information on Alyssa. And I want to point this out because um, these authors, it seems like they were purposely trying to cast a particular light on her. There's articles that say, you know, missing woman, last time people saw her, mother died shortly after, and then at the end, they seem to want to bring up her employment status, her lack of education, the fact that she was living with a family member, and it's almost to say, yes, there's a missing person, this is where the person was last seen, this is the time the person was last talked to or heard from. By the way, did you know that she didn't have a job? Did you know that she wasn't highly educated? And she did not have her own living situation? And that helps no one at all. None of that information brings tips. None of that information helps the case in any way. In any way, I tried to sit there and think, okay, could this possibly, because of this information, someone can say, oh, well, I know, whoop, no, 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 none of it makes sense. And I want to bring this up because this often happens when it comes to people of color. When they go missing, when they're the victims of assault or murder, oftentimes articles and uh, news agencies want to bring up their criminal record. They want to bring up um, their 
living situation, their lack of education, anything that could at the end of the viewer feeling like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. Anything that can make them at the end of it go, oh, well, they brought that upon themselves. And again, this is something that is completely disgusting. Um, And again, I've seen this in a lot of cases of people of color. um, And I've seen this in a lot of um, indigenous women cases. Um, And while some of this information can be helpful, not so much the education status, um, employment status, or the fact that she was living with family, that is not helpful. A little bit of her criminal history was a bit helpful because of the area that she was last seen. Um, And that can kind of tie some clues into what she may have possibly been doing there. But the rest is just irrelevant. And it really seemed like it was put in these articles and these blog posts to kind of taint how viewers or readers view Miss McLemore. Now, the Kent police denied that Ms. McLemore's case was initially dismissed. Um, it's still an ongoing investigation. They just say it's just so little information to go on. Um, they did state that they have done over 20 formal interviews. Um, and we were told the general area Ms. McLemore was last seen. Um, Unfortunately, it was the area where the Green River killer, Gary L. Ridgeway, picked up several of his victims um, and disposed of several of their bodies. Now, it is important to mention that the Green River killer was arrested in 2001. This was eight years before her disappearance. But I think it's important to mention because we now know that this is an area where people who are up to no good go. And people who are up to no good know that they can get away with going there without really being caught. Where they can do unseemly things without really being caught. Where they can dispose of people. And not really worry about being caught because they know the police. They don't really cruise that area. They don't really look for people that hang in that area. Now of recent, there has been two acts that pass focusing on missing indigenous women. There's the Savannah Act and the Not Invisible Act, both signed into law in 2020. Uh, the Savannah Act clarifies federal, state, tribal, and local law enforcement responsibilities in respect to missing or murdered natives. Um, it aims to increase communication and coordination between federal, tribal, state, and local law enforcement agencies, improves tribal access to resources and information such as the Federal Criminal Information Database, which will be needed to respond effectively to missing and murdered Indian cases. Um, It requires data collection related to missing and murdered Indian people, regardless of where they reside, and directs U.S. attorneys to develop regional appropriate guides for responding to missing or murdered Indians. The Not Invisible Act, S-982, um, that was introduced in April 2019, uh, it's intended to increase intergovernmental coordination to identify and combat violent crime within Indian lands and of Indians. The act established a joint commission of reducing violent crimes against Indians, a local, tribal, and federal stakeholders from diverse geographic areas that will make publicly available recommendations to the Department of Interior and Justice on the best practices both departments can take um, 
in to combat disappearance, murders, trafficking, and other violent crimes against Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Um, I do just want to say, anytime during this podcast, if I use the term um, Indians or um, Native Americans, it's because I am reading for a quote um, from my personal knowledge. I know um, the most politically correct term is indigenous, um, but I'm reading direct quotes. Um, so if anybody's listened to that and like, why does she keep using that? Um, it's because when I say it, it's a direct quote from um, either an act or an article. Now, in 2019, an article by the Auburn Examiner titled New WSP Homeward Bound Truck Features Alyssa McLemore. Um, the WA State Patrol's Missing and Unidentified Persons Unit um, unveiled a homeward bound truck. Um, now, homeward bound is a program that assists in the recovery of missing children and adults. Essentially, the trucks displays a picture of the missing person, a little bit of case info, and then in big numbers, a number they can call to um, reveal any tips that they may have. Um, the truck is semi-trailer displayed Alyssa McLemore's picture with um, the number to the Kent Police Department. Um, the whole purpose is to increase exposure for her case. Um, the hope is that posters of missing people displayed on the side of semi-trucks traveling across the country will bring much-needed awareness and possibly the recovery of missing individuals. Now, the program works with Camway Transportation, and over the years, they have so far featured 28 individuals, three of whom have been recovered. Um, we can't say for sure if they were recovered because of the Homeward Bound program, um, but what we do know is that increased public knowledge of cases, increased exposure of cases, increased the recovery or closure of cases. Detective Wells, who was working on Alyssa's case, states, until she's found alive, we're treating her as a missing person and potential homicide victim. Detective Wells is hopeful that the Missing, Murdered, and Indigenous Women pro, uh, movement will lead to witnesses in Alyssa's case. He's hoping that those who may have been too scared in the past to contact police about a decade ago are now willing to come forward with new information that can help solve the case. If you have any information that can lead to information about Alyssa's disappearance or the location of Alyssa, please contact the Kent Police Department at 253-856-5800. That's 253-856-5800. Um, again, I'm going to post uh, pictures of Alyssa. I'm going to post um clips throughout the week um you can see the clips from her aunt tina and other family members i'll also post the camway truck so you can see what that looks like um as always share like comment save um again because of the algorithm on instagram uh the more shares likes and saves saves actually help the most um that you put on content creators uh posts um, the more that Instagram will show that content to new people on their home screen, um, the higher those um, 
post will be in the search bar when people look up specific hashtags. Um, and again, not just for me, do that for all your favorite content creators, um, your favorite pages. Um, if you want to help them create awareness of whatever it is they're posting about. Also ask that if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, um, that you go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, same thing. The more reviews you have, the more likely they'll show your um, podcast to new people, um, especially people who are looking into um, things that are related to your podcast. Um, Also, please subscribe. That way you can just get automatic updates. You don't have to wait for me to make a post on Instagram. It will automatically let you know when I have a new episode. Again, this was a bonus episode. I will have a new episode on Sunday as always. As always, I hope you guys stay safe, stay vigilant, and I will see you guys Sunday with a new episode. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.